Welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast, a podcast created to champion church multiplication, provide learning, and inspire new disciple-making communities across Canada. Hi there, welcome to the Multiply Network Podcast. My name is Paul Fraser. So glad you jumped on today. Before I get to the intro for our interview today, I wanted to make an opportunity available to leaders out there that might be interested in thinking through the future of church. At the Multiply Network, we started a reimagined cohort, and we're inviting leaders to jump on once a month to have a conversation about what the future looks like. If that's at all interesting to you, hit us up on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at POC Multiply, or on our Facebook uh, page, POC Multiply Network, and we'll be sure to send you the details of the next call. Really excited to talk with David Wells, our General Superintendent of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, and we talk through the next four years. You're going to love what is in his heart. As I re-listen to this podcast, I'm encouraged again as he's talking through change, thinking through flexibility and adaptability, and bringing our movement back to a place focusing on discipleship. And for those of you who know Dave, you know that he doesn't just preach it. He and his wife, Sue, live it out. In a season with so much uncertainty, we want to hear from our leaders. And here's our leader, David Wells, coming up right now. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the Multiply Network podcast. Great to be back with you, Paul. And uh, good to be talking about some important things that are going on right now. That's it. We're going to jump right into it. There's no fooling around with our general superintendent. So we're going to jump in. Uh, one of the things that obviously you're you're on holidays. So first of all, thanks for taking time to do this and carve out just a few moments for us. You're traveling across Canada. But before you were traveling across Canada with Sue in the car, you were hearing things from leaders uh, going through COVID, uh, you know, with all the shifts and changes that are happening, what are you hearing these days from from the leaders across Canada? Maybe give us a thirty thousand foot picture, as I know that you uh, are very much concerned and in contact with many of them. Uh, it's a privilege to to lead leaders and to serve leaders, and such a diversity uh, across the country, and even traveling across the country. I'm reminded of the diverse contexts that our people serve in, the device, the diverse ministries and churches that uh, are all engaging this from different action. Uh, you know, you take our uh, campus ministry people just now getting ready to uh, engage in a different way than when they can be fully on campus and running small groups and so on. Uh, of course, local churches are still figuring out about regathering, how they do that. So uh, this weekend, I'll be with the church that has started to regather, but of course, keeping their online presence. Well, the following weekend, I'll be with the church that's gone drive in church the whole summer and uh, actually seen a fairly high rate of return of people showing up a little bit more rural setting than the one I'll be in this Saturday. So, you know, knowing the diversity of the context, the, the main messages are is that uh, People are recognizing the complexity that they're dealing with, and they're trying to seek out in their own setting 
what's the best way to navigate this moving forward. They're doing that well, they're even feeling personally stressed. Uh, they're having to learn new skills, whether it's online skills mm -hmm. or how to be an at-home parent yeah. or uh, how to live with your spouse 24 hours a day, you know? So, <laughs> so, you know, you cannot deny the stressors that are there. And I'm glad that a lot of our support ministries, districts, et cetera, have moved to strengthen uh, to support pastors stress-related. I'm finding churches that are successfully navigating this are doing the very same thing. They've really enhanced their congregational contact and connection. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think some of them started it off by wanting to make sure the uh, money didn't uh, disappear <laughs> and uh, yep. they wanted to keep their budgets up. Totally. But uh, they also wanted to stay connected with their congregational members. And I think it's been a phenomenal uh, learning experience about really how to reconnect on a pastoral level yeah. and where people are really at. Um, some, you know, churches vary in size and so on, but uh, some of our leaders would recognize that they, you know, they got pretty platform based. They were pretty focused on uh, Sunday yeah. lens and yeah. that's all good and right. But uh, they found themselves now recognizing that they're, disconnected a bit from a lot of what real life is and maybe uh, got an accurate picture of even where our people are at relative to their walk with Jesus, their discipleship. So there's a realism that's hit everybody. Uh, the other thing I think that leaders are experiencing that I'm experiencing is, you know, we've had the privilege of serving in this role for 12 years. That's three terms. Well, all of a sudden, the fourth term doesn't look like the th previous three. Right. So it's like uh, how I got no guarantees uh, that I'll be doing in spring of 2021, which I did in spring of 2019. Got no guarantees about uh, what circle of leaders I'll be meeting with face to face and who I'll be Zooming with and therefore what you can accomplish and can't accomplish. Uh, but we're all flexing and, you yep. know, yep. Uh, we get wisdom for the journey. But the fact of the matter is that uncertainty contributes to uh, at times the stress and uh, just, uh, I think some people wonder at times, who am I leading? Because <laughs> oh, yeah. when you can't see people quite the way you used to see them, it's... Uh, it's an interesting day. So we've had to be sure that the support systems are there. Uh, the resources are there. Appreciate what you're doing and so many others are doing just to let people know, leaders know they're not alone. Uh, we're in this together. We're elbow to elbow. And even just hearing that we're all experiencing the same kind of emotions, challenges, right. even pra practical uh, things going on in our lives, uh, whether you're a general superintendent or running the multiply network or pastoring in a rural or city yeah. setting, uh, we're in this together. And and that's really important. And, you know, I was talking offline with you, Dr. Henry Cloud, who some may know out there, just said it's so important for us to hear from one another and to hear from our leadership. And uh, so I'm looking forward to, you know, hearing some of the things that you're looking forward to in this next term and some of the things you're going to focus on. But before we do that, 
any advice for leaders on how to navigate this change, uh, how to look at these opportunities as not obstacles, and maybe some of the things you're doing to help, you know, keep a, you know, a good sense about you, good thinking, good practices in your everyday life? It's interesting you use the word navigate because, uh, you know, my little handwritten notes, first word I got is navigate. <laughs> and I guess I'm thinking uh, somewhat along the terms of, uh, you know, being out sailing and uh, responding to the winds and tacting to what uh, is uh, the the current circumstances. And uh, I, I, I do encourage leaders that we need to navigate the challenges. Um, One thing about navigating the challenges is uh, by and large, resist overreacting, Uh, you know, respond, yeah, but uh, uh, some leaders are losing their way uh, because they're overreacting. Um, Some they're just overreacting to social media and some of the polarity issues that are going on and so on. And I. I see the leaders that are really keeping their ship, you know, their church or ministry sailing forward. Um, they're tacking a course where, yeah, they're not in denial, but uh, they're navigating the challenges. Yeah. They're, and they're, they're realizing also that those challenges have opportunities yeah. and they're recognizing the opportunities. We did that a bit right at the beginning, of course, when, uh, Everyone recognized they needed to go online or connect by other means and enhance congregational contact. And people found out, man, if you just go wander around in your neighborhood and talk to neighbors, yeah, people you never met before, and there's whole new opportunities. There's opportunities for community engagement. So uh, recognizing the opportunities and responding to them, uh, I mean, that brings a whole, uh, even enthusiasm yeah. and life that uh, otherwise you don't experience uh, if you're just on the vortex of the existing church and doing what you've always done. Yeah. And uh, here's a key thing. Uh, you stay anchored to the main things. Now that goes opposite of the sailing picture, but it's still <laughs> uh, naviga- uh, nautical language, you know, and uh, yeah. I found myself humming stuff like uh, we have an anchor and, you know, some older songs I'd know that a lot of those listening might not know on Christ, the solid rock I stand. And, uh, but this has been a season to drive us back to main things and main things about the church, main things about our own lives. And uh, obviously the, the number one anchor is uh, be intimate with the father and just you know use the opportunity the time to re-engage scriptures in a deep deeper way yeah uh, take on areas of study that uh, have been waiting for you you know engage scriptures that you haven't engaged for a while but in all of it uh, sense the intimacy of god who uh, wants to meet us and you know when jesus was on the planet and you read the gospels um, he was always dealing with uncertain times. He was dealing with opposition. He had his challenges. He certainly recognized the kingdom opportunities that were all around him. Nonetheless, he responded to them. Um, but he also anchored himself and he took the time. Yeah. 
yeah. to uh, get a loan. And it's just amazing to read the Gospels and add up the number of times that before Jesus is going to launch into uh, new exploits or make important decisions or just to spend time with key people, he had no problem with solitude. He had no problem with taking some time alone with the Father. I, I think we really got to reemphasize that, Paul, because in the vortex of the existing church pre-COVID, uh, a lot of leaders will be honest now <laughs> and say that was slipping. Yeah. And and uh, you're you're not so that anchoring to main things. Yeah, that's a that's cool. that's a really good thought. Um, we even at international office have had to shift just like every other office and every other organization. And, you know, depending on the province you're in, there's different um, health standards and things you can do. But one of the things we did was we went to our first ever fully online general conference. And, uh, you know, I thought that was uh, that was a really, really great thing that we pivoted to. Uh, and in that conference, you were elected to four more years, so congratulations on that. Uh, now, what are some of the things you're looking to focus on in this next term? Well, I'm going to navigate the challenges. <laughs> I mean, that's what see, we did even with the general conference to go fully online, right? So see uh, answer number one, you know, that's what we're going to do is just, we'll just replay this part and then yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, um, well, let me say that um, I've clearly understood in the role of a national, sometimes even international leader, that uh, you do have to be about uh, the main things. Your voice is going to get muted if you're about every little trivial item out there. And uh, we uh, really are, I think, recapturing the call. COVID has helped, but we need to become a disciple-making movement. Just, uh, yes. And we have to be about that main thing, about uh, uh, what does that look like uh, in current context, yes, but how do we ensure uh, that we are a disciple-making movement and I've done some communication recently about, I understand that we have some characteristics, of course, of being a denomination, because mm -hmm. uh, we're going to keep doing the structural stuff well and uh, accountability to the government and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we also have always prided ourselves on being a fellowship, uh, a family, and uh, we've tried to honor that then even by how we've introduced change and have family conversations and deal about issues of our vitality, whether in churches or in our disciple making, other areas, theology. So those aren't going to go away because they're main things. They're what the Spirit speaks to the church about, whether it was in the time of Jesus launching the church or a hundred years later at the end of the book of Revelation. He's Spirit is still speaking about those issues. Um, but I think we're all uh, in this next four years going to need to live that out in changing contexts and understand how do you go about starting with a Canadian who doesn't know Jesus from Justin Trudeau. And I've met a number of them in my neighborhood just over the last few months that I hadn't met before. 
Right. Because I wandered the neighborhood with my wife and we go out for our walks and our bike rides. And then we get invited uh, to the community outdoor physically distanced Friday night parties. And you get talking to people and you begin to hear their stories and you get their background. They want to find out who you are. You see the somewhat blank looks <laughs> and uh, wondering if they can even trust you and yeah. try to you know, find common ground. And uh, I mean, play that out over and over again, Paul. And, and disciple making, uh, one friend cautioned me about even using the word anymore just last week in a conversation in BC because of the concern that uh, it's totally lost its meaning. I would prefer we recaptured the meaning, Yeah. but the bottom line is it is about taking somebody who doesn't know Jesus, and there's variations on a theme about how much awareness people do or don't have all across Canada. They're coming from different contexts, different cultures, but what does it look like for that individual mm -hmm. to move from that party on a Friday night on the street corner uh, where really it's a meaningful time for them out there holding their beer visiting with friends can I go get you one all that and that's how much I know them what's it going to take to knowing that based on the conversations the only other person that has been navigating their faith journey with them up to that point is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Right. You catch what I'm saying? No, now that, that might not be totally accurate. Could well have been other influences. Could be people praying for them. Um, and I think that's what we're being driven back to. And I'm given the next four years. Um, and in doing that, especially leaning young, um, helping younger leaders and, and champion younger leaders who get that we've got to be engaged with real Canadians. Yeah. And uh, certainly they would be aware of that. Most of them. Yeah. Um, how do we provide for them a movement? A, mm -hmm. You know, yeah, a family, yes, a denomination, but in the end, the danger of a family is what's happened in a lot of our churches and why we were plateaued and declining is family gets comfortable. Family gets to be about preferences and, uh, you know, being around the table with ourselves and your worship can turn that way. It's about ourselves and it, you, your church programming. And, you know, we began to look at literally the hundreds of churches that couldn't report anyone coming to living faith. And, uh, yeah. you know, this season demands that we address that as we have been. Yeah. And thank God for you and the Multiply Network. Thank God for the Vitalization Network, districts engaging it. But in the end, it's got to get down to real people like Susan and I living yeah. on our street in Burlington and uh, a whole movement of people capturing what it looks like to be like Jesus. Yeah. And, and so how, how do we equip like the scriptures encourage us? How do we do the life of discipleship rather than talk about the life of discipleship? Yeah. How, how do we lead people the way Jesus led? So he ended up with disciples 
because he actually led them. He lived with them. Mm-hmm. It's a relationally based process. Yeah. You cannot take the relationship component out of discipleship. So wondering what that looks like to um, then see people come to living faith. Genuinely, the, the lights come on and respond to Jesus. And uh, I'll keep leading that way. I, I was just going to say, you know, that so fits with our mission statement. And one of the things that I feel the Lord bringing me back to is our PAOC mission statement to 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 glorify God by by practicing and proclaiming the gospel. We're making disciples, you know, to glorify God by making disciples, by practicing and proclaiming the gospel. That, to me, has to be our rallying cry now. That has to be what we what we filter everything through, where we where we evaluate our because right now, uh, uh, you know, I was just talking with leaders. We're doing this reimagined cohort, thinking about the future of the church, and and it's like one of the things we're saying is everything. I mean, everything is up for debate, including Sunday morning gatherings. Like like we're we're at a stage. So let's overlay the filter of disciple making you know, over everything we do. And if this doesn't make disciples, now I'm not suggesting Sunday mornings don't make disciples because I think it's part of the process, but that can't be the whole process. And so what are our discipleship pathways? And one of the questions I think we would all, we would all say we give a nod, like who's going to say that we shouldn't make disciples. It's like grandma's and apple pie. We like, we like, we like those things. Um, But are we doing enough to make disciples? Well, clearly we haven't been. <laughs> and uh, you know, you, I think uh, us uh, Pentecostals especially always live with a form of healthy dissatisfaction. We know the ideal and uh, then we face realities. Hopefully we don't practice denial and we see the gap and then we ask ourselves, what's the next obedient step to close the gap? So the reality is is we have a God-given opportunity, in essence, to reboot and reboot around main things, the mission. Yeah. And the mission yeah. is rooted, uh, first of all, in relationship with God. The I want to reemphasize that. But if you're close to the Father, then you're going to have the heart of the Father, like Jesus did for the lost. Um, and lost is not a pejorative term. Right. Loss simply means that people are not in living relationship with their heavenly father and they need to be brought to him like the lost son uh, who had to come back to the father. So we do everything we can. So I, I'll be leading the way and working with yeah. uh, all those that serve on our various levels of leadership to bring it back to that matrix, that question and uh and then the pragmatics of that yeah how do you realign first of all a fellowship a movement of churches to we've been working at it because i've always uh understood discipleship to be a main thing so i mean (laughs) you know but even uh, here's an interesting i'll i'll you know i'll step out a little bit further um, when the concerns of racial injustice uh, have uh, risen uh, over the last several months, uh, some people really didn't want to engage that because they felt it distracted 
um, the, all, all the while saying, of course, we should practice uh, racial equality. That's right. But half the leaders I was talking to at the time, Paul, so we're only talking in the last month or two, half of them were very focused on regathering and what was involved in that, rightfully so. Mm -hmm. They were asking and, and they were dealing with the rest of that was like a distraction. But our younger leaders, no one was asking me about regathering, but they were asking me, where's the POC at with what my experience has been of, you know, that there isn't racial equality, even within the POC, better yet beyond. Right. Here's my experience. So then you're on calls and you're dealing with real people, hear their stories. Uh, you hear the challenges they faced, how they feel it impacts their ability even to minister the way they're called. And listen, these are prime people that I want to be part of the POC because they will actually go to neighbor. They will actually reach people for Jesus. They, they value the local church, but they're maybe not as addicted to the vortex, you know? So yeah. I, I've, I worry that we have a truncated gospel that we do not understand that out of love for God and out of love for others, you do go and you make disciplined followers of Jesus who themselves are lovers of God and lovers of others. And in that you fulfilled a great requirement that you do justice and you love mercy. Yeah. Like you, you cannot take love for God and love for neighbor and truncate it and say, well, the big thing is people just need to get saved. Well, salvation speaks of a wholeness of being able to love God and love neighbor. Mm -hmm. And if your neighbor is experiencing uh, injustice, my love for neighbor demands that I speak to that and that I yeah. live a different life and that I, our church engages. Just, now, that's not just true about racial justice, but that's true about living in a real world with real people. Yeah. And um, there's some things that... Uh, to be a disciplined follower of Jesus, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. It, it's, uh, it's a tough call. Jesus always said it was a tough call. And in our culture today, there's things about pursuing Jesus uh, that are not an easy sell in a current context where we're talking about your truth, my truth. We're talking about things, uh, you know, uh, being progressive that maybe aren't so progressive. So part of uh, the need for discipleship is we're going to lose a whole generation to either side of that discussion. <laughs> yep. Either we're going to lose them to a real watered-down version of Jesus and the gospel that doesn't transform lives in the end, or we're going to lose them because we didn't live out a gospel that challenged us to apply it to the whole of life and to all of our relationships. And to fulfill the great requirement as part of the great commandment and the great commission. So that's, I think, in these four years, absolutely crucial. Yeah. I have to have an integration in my own life and then the leaders I work with of the great command, love God, yep. completely love others, of the great commission. Now let's go yep. in the power of the Spirit make disciples, but let's know that making disciples is all about everything in life. 
doing justice, loving mercy, yeah. walking humbly. So uh, God help us. Yeah, thanks for leaning in on that. You know, that uh, so much revolves around discipleship process, conversation, living life, modeling. And uh, I appreciate you leaning in on that conversation. Um, you know, one of the things as we think through, you know, working with younger leaders, um, there's a there's different mindsets uh, developing in a Gen Z leader than a boomer or a builder. Then how do we get them all at the table? And so even and then add to it COVID and all the uncertainty. I think one of the things that we all agree that flexibility and agility need to be an important characteristic of any healthy organization. Now, are we uh, flexible enough as a fellowship to make the right adjustments in the future to be more effective in reaching Canadians with the gospel? And 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 if we aren't, what could we do to be more flexible? I have again recently been communicating that the the danger of structure is arthritis <laughs> if you use the physical imagery right and uh if you make a body all about structure um you know you end up with a skeleton <laughs> or you're so you've got to have living systems that allow for life and uh you know, you've got to have the breath of God and you've got to have the heart of love, grace, mercy. And, uh, you know, and within that, then um, to be a movement, you have to have flexibility so that, uh, you know, your your muscles are working and you're moving like you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, totally. So if every time a part of the body's trying to move out, whether it's to pioneer a new way of doing something or whether it's, uh, you know, in our credentialing processes, this is a brick wall. We kept, you know, part of the structure keeps bringing us heads on to a brick wall. Are we sure that brick wall's got to be there? Maybe yeah. we should knock her down. Now, maybe it does need to be there. Well, there's once in a while people hit brick walls, but they needed that brick wall. So I have been studying again, uh, Howard Snyder, and uh, some of his writings, and it's rooted in uh, Optic, a uh, book uh, that Chandler wrote about forming the next generation of pioneering kingdom leaders. And he goes back to some of these principles of uh, Snyder when he wrote about the kingdom of God and the, the movements that are within the kingdom. And that strong emphasis that there, in movements, there will always be an institutional charismatic tension. Yep. renewal always creates tension for existing structures yep now here i am a macro leader saying i welcome that tension because the only other choice rather than welcoming the tension is death and i refuse to let my fellowship of churches die because we chose structure over life yeah but i think that doesn't mean they're you don't throw structure away per se, but uh, we need a table full right from the general executive through to every district executive through to every working group we've got of leaders that know how to do the tension well. And if we have to kibosh some things that are chasing some of our finest and best leaders away, 
we better find a way <laughs> to get rid of those things. So I'm not talking lightly here, Paul, because I know the realities of that. I know the committees. <laughs> I know the, you know, I know the constitution and, uh, you know, by and large, we've been rooted as a movement. So we have movement like tendencies. We just got to make sure that those are rekindled and refired. And so I'm committed that why I stayed on for four more years is to, to be a bridge to a whole new season of those kind of leaders leading us. Uh, yeah, some of my peers, but a lot of them that are younger than myself and a very diverse group of leaders, a whole new wave of diversity, male, female, different backgrounds, or rural, urban, you know, uh, just, uh, just a fresh day. Uh, and that's not pejorative of anything in the past. That's just dealing with the now mm -hmm. and navigating what we need for the future. And we're 100 years old. And yeah. if we haven't stretched in 20 years or 30 years, you know, it's going to, I, I, uh, I've used this analogy before that when I go play ball hockey with 20 year olds, they just run out onto the ball hockey floor. They don't stretch. They just, and they're, they're fine the next day, but I got to take a half hour to stretch before a half hour to stretch. Cause here's what I do. When I don't do that, I overestimate my flexibility and underestimate the importance of stretching. Yeah. And, and I think organizations do that too. And it's so refreshing, Dave, to hear you say, I'm all about stretching. I'm all about stretching our thinking, stretching our structures, being flexible, because as a hundred year old movement for us to navigate that, you know, we use that word to navigate where we read and react the, to the waters in front of us, we're actually going to need that flexibility. And, um, I think it's so important. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the demand is if you're going to be a movement, you're going to be countercultural and you're creating a kingdom of God community. Now, a practical example of that is if Pentecostal people in Canada get sidetracked um, about uh, the culture that we live in and get conformed to the culture rather than transformed by the renewing of their minds and you get spending most of your time on the polarities of the culture of our day you are not going to be a disciple making movement yeah. um, you are going to very well reflect the culture you're in you're going to be polarized you're going to be arguing jesus when he talked about end times he did not leave any room to be a speculative community going on and on and on or <laughs> heading out to, you know to the caves or the woods or whatever yeah. you read matthew 25 the parables he gave in the light of end times and all the signs he gave in matthew 24 and you're a watch and pray organization that's alert to the times yes but then what do you do you know, you have talents, you use them, you multiply them. If you got five, go get 10. Yeah. You know, you're, you're using what God's given you within the context to multiply things happen. Yeah. You, you, you find ways when people are saying there can't be any more disciple making communities in Canada because the church is dying. You're finding all sorts of new ways because the kingdom of God is mustard seed and leaven. It grows, it impacts, it multiplies and like Jesus said in Matthew 25, you also are there uh, 
and you uh, find the people that are the poor, the oppressed, the, the dispossessed, the bound, you, you know. So the danger, Paul, on the one hand, we won't be a movement if people are dominated by the culture. That doesn't mean be ignorant. I, I'm, I mean, I'm not ignorant. I'm very yeah. well informed, actually. Yeah. But I'm going to be about the main things of the kingdom and living that out in my culture and in my community yeah. and cheer on people that go about changing culture that way. But I'm also concerned about primarily this. I don't want to oversimplify but primarily those that are younger that don't understand how culture also impacts them. Yeah. The move towards, you know, nothing's authoritative. You can't say with uh, confidence, I believe this, or, you know, call people to live uh, a kingdom lifestyle and a biblical uh, ethic and so on. Uh, that will not give us, uh, the Church of Jesus active as a movement either. That's going to kill us. Mm -hmm. And so I'm an equal opportunity offender on this. <laughs> you know, if we're going to be a movement, we're going to be a movement, but we're going to be a kingdom of God movement. Yeah, We're not going to be a liberalized movement. We're not going to be a conservatized movement. Uh, you know, right. uh, and I'm not just talking politics now. Yep. I'm talking about the whole culture and all the the molds it wants to put you in. Let's see some kingdom people arise. Yeah. Live out community the way kingdom people live out community. And uh, know how Jesus used to be able to go to the broken, the dispossessed, but he could also deal with the corridors of power. Right. Yeah, and he was an equal opportunity offender. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but he was also one full of grace and truth. Yeah, and that is that is the key, full of grace and truth, and very good thoughts. Um, thanks for sharing that. This is a church multiplication podcast, so we better throw in some stuff about church planting. Uh, oh. Yeah, we just although obviously one of the things rolling around in my head these days is maybe we should actually focus more on disciple-making, hoping churches emerge, rather than focusing on church planting, hoping disciples emerge. Uh, you know, so those are some of the things. So this discipleship talk is about multiplication, is about seeing the kingdom of God advance. Um, you and I just were on a very, I think, a very good online vitalization summit talking about how important it is for churches to be vital and, uh, you know, one of the things that I've said and continue to say is that I think a fully vitalized church is one that multiplies. And that's something that I think, you know, lines up with the scriptures. And I know that's in the heart of our vitalization team. Um, so years ago, and I'm talking like 2013, somewhere in there, we started using new language calling, uh, you know, instead of necessarily church plants, we needed a kind of a catch-all because there was missional initiatives and satellites and campuses and all these, you know, uh, house churches. And we and we came up with the term uh, disciple-making communities. And I like that because it actually focuses on what you're describing, the main thing. As we think about the future and as we think about movemental change, how important is it for us to start new disciple-making communities in our fellowship to become a movement again? Well, it's absolutely uh, critical. And again, uh, our global friends in the church uh, teach us that clearly is that if you 
you will be hard pressed to find a church planting movement globally that is not rooted in being a disciple making movement first of all yeah and that's how they plant churches and so the multiplication takes place even in some very restrictive countries and contexts because they make disciples the point of the matter is though once you get that into your dna and everybody's doing it you keep you know expanding the number of people connected to any given group and the natural thing is we're developing leaders because we're making disciples and leaders take shape out of that okay the natural thing for you as a leader to do is go and now make another disciple making community i.e a church and so as you know there's in some restrictive environments there's huge house church movements because and i i think actually in the, the post covid or late covid hopefully era we've had time to reexamine well isn't that every bit of possibility in north america and in canada right right Can't we see multiplication take place um through you know disciples making disciples uh, maybe in home environments watch parties etc and then why not have the kind of leadership that captures that and then says, well, let's keep identifying leaders out of that, then in turn can multiply. Right. And you can go basically uh, in some ways block by block and uh, next community over to next community over. Some of our friends have already been modeling for that, us that for, you know, in Southeastern Saskatchewan and other places, but now more than ever, could we not, to identify leaders arising from disciple making communities that then go and multiply and make um so i i just think uh, the hard work for you and i and a few other people maybe not so few is to get that mindset really at work so that we're actually identifying those leaders and actually got the rails for that to run on so that it becomes normative and and that's not just for Bible college grads. This is no, no. for lay leaders that have a heart for a community in Saskatchewan 20 minutes down the road that has no gospel witness, but they're, you know, they're a full-time, you know, whatever, working in commerce or business or accounting, but they have a heart for that community. They're going to go start an alpha. You exactly. know, they're going to do something like that. This isn't a professional clergy responsibility to start new disciple making uh, communities and movement it's all of our responsibility and you're right we learn from the global church well and we learn from movements so even in our own uh, circles uh, there was a time frame even when i was serving out in vancouver at broadway church in the late 90s that it was still the understood wisdom that campus ministries were only to be about a club that was on campus, maybe with a chaplain-like figure serving, but that, you know, all the students were going to drift towards our POC churches because the legitimate church was the church on the corner, right? you know, even if it was three miles away. Now, there was a lot of fruit for that, but in the meantime, we've discovered that there is great opportunity to establish disciple-making communities on campuses, 
that remain on the campus and that are there year round. And we're the people that are serving uh, as the leaders and equippers in that context are available year round because campuses don't die and disappear, you know? No. Uh, So that's one example where, where you got a movement and life is happening and students are coming to faith and how are you going to maintain the discipleship? You end up multiplying disciple-making communities on campuses and suddenly where you said there couldn't be church 20 years ago because that doesn't fit our structure and you know churches won't fund something if they don't see it in their four walls. Thankfully, enough of us woke up to the fact that no, people will give to mission. People will give to disciple-making communities. We're just glad the campuses yeah. are being served that way. And uh, that's only growing. That's not going away. Yeah. And that's really good news and a great example. Man, Dave, this has been rich. Like, I know people are saying, you know, who know that you're my boss, they're probably that you have to say that. But I honestly mean it. This has been rich. Uh, Getting to know you the last, I've known you you probably 10 years, but, um, but just working with you the last two or three years, none of the things you're saying are like new. They're just, they're things that just keep re coming up in your conversation and how you live. And, and you're not asking us to do anything you're not doing. And so I just want to, you know, say thanks to you for that. Got one last question and, and you know, it relates to change. It relates to different thinking. You use the campuses as an example. How do, um, let me, let me give you a little, little thought about this question I'm about to ask. Part of the PAOC, you know, we, we've, you know, in 1919, we celebrated 100 years in 2019, and and uh, we saw great success in Canada. Problem with success is as you grow, there's more things to manage, you know, and uh, and and when you really start growing and become 11, 1,200 disciple communities, disciple making communities across Canada, there is a lot to manage. And what can happen is all the energy of an organization can go into management and, and we lose our innovative side. So the question I have for you, uh, how do we move from a management mindset to an innovation mindset from your role as general superintendent all the way down to Joe Pusitter, who's sitting there going, I, I attend the church. I want to be a part of it. I want to be a part of the mission of God. What can I do to have this innovation mindset? Personally, I feel a responsibility, Paul, to always be identifying the catalytic leaders that are modeling uh, creative, innovative, uh, main thing ministry. It's not just to be novel, but it's, it's, it's to be about the mission like we've been talking about. But then within that, uh, who can I champion that's clearly innovating, creative, And how can I make sure that we clear out of the way anything in the structure that, and sometimes it takes time. That's just the nature, like you say, of established uh, organizations. But how can we clear out of the way the kind of things that would hold that leader down? Or in some cases, they just go into isolation and, yeah, they fill out their credential and show up at a conference or two. But otherwise, you know, they're unto themselves. How do you make them part of the engine room (laughs) of the POC? And uh, I'm working hard to champion people, get people at the tables, not to bog them down with a bunch of management, but to uh, be able to model their story, live it out, uh, 
you know, influence others, and also to be unthreatened about some of the uh, networking and structuring the vine growth that happens around the trunk and say, that's good too, <laughs> yep. you know, yep. and not try to cut it down and make it all fit into, you know, our trunk, but like let some other growth happen. And so again, then you got to cooperate with everything from your general executive and districts to everything that's part of the structure has to be open to that. Yeah. And once in a while, you got to do some pruning um, so that you can make room for new life. Once in a while, you got to prune some stuff that looked like it was going to be fruitful, yep. but uh, it needs to be cut off, you know. Yep. Uh, so that's all part of the responsibility of being a macro leader. Yeah. And to, yeah. And, you know, to be clear, I'm not saying we don't manage. I think there's a level of management, but I think the percentage of what we do. Uh, as it relates to management, even at a local assembly, I was chatting with the pastor this week about it. You know, when I shared that thought, he goes guilty, you know, even at a local church level, you can get caught up with the management of things. And I really like that idea of championing innovative ideas and making innovation normative. That should just yeah. be a part of what we are. The Holy Spirit is the most creative person on the planet. And, uh, and so as Christians, we have access to that. And so, uh, Dave, thanks for your leadership. Thanks for your heart. You model it well. And uh, appreciate you jumping on the Multiply Network podcast today. My privilege, Paul, and uh, cheering folks on to be all that Jesus calls them to be. Amen. All right. Thanks, Dave. Safe travels back home.